Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, data with instant analysis of WWE, TLC, tables, ladders, and chairs. That's right. We are here just minutes after WWE, TLC went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on the final pay-per-view of 2020. And because it was a longest show with plenty that happened, and it's been a very long weekend for the Silver King and Vintage. We are not going to waste time getting into this breakdown. As always, you can follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review to let us know how much you love the show. Now, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, you can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam personally. And you can follow my co-host tonight, Chris Vanini at Chris Vanini. Chris, the way we break down and start these instant analysis by cracking open a beer, getting right into it. I am already cracked open, poured, and ready to go. I have a very vanilla caramel cream ale. Yes, you guessed it. From my local brewery, Due South in Boynton Beach, Florida. Not where exactly the city I live in, but it is nearby and my absolute favorite place to go. Chris, what are you rocking tonight? My grandparents used to have a place in Boynton Beach. I went there a couple times as a kid. So shout out to Boynton Beach. It has changed massively since then, I promise you. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Um, yeah. I've got. I've just got another uh, a, a beat of Purple Haze that I've had in the fridge for a while. It's been a busy day. It's been a busy couple of weeks with college football kind of sort of wrapping up. And then we throw a pay-per-view on top of that. Uh, it has been an eventful day. Yeah, just being honest, straight up honest with everyone, you know, Chris and I, we both for our professions uh, cover and work in college football and with the championship week and selection Sunday happening, we are tired and wired and we happen to fit in WWE TLC at the tail end of it. The Silver King, I wasn't nodding off during the show because it was boring or anything like that, but man, the hours, the long hours are really getting to me. So with that, we're not going to waste time. We talked about the beer. We talked about how you can follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and the fact that you can drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We already did that. Let's get into the instant analysis of WWE, TLC, and Chris. We need to start where WWE finished because when we do instant analysis of pay-per-views, we go in order from most important to least important of what happened on the show, unlike our ultimate previews where we do it in upside-down match card order, exactly how we think the show or hope the show is going to be built. So we have to start with the Firefly Inferno match, the Fiend Bray Wyatt against Randy Orton. Now, Chris, you had no idea about the stipulation of this match, and I didn't find that too interesting when you first told me because WWE is known to announce stipulations and even matches outside of TV the week leading into a pay-per-view. However, the fact that this was the main event for the show over a Roman Reigns TLC match for the Universal Championship goes to show generally how poor of a decision it is to book that way when WWE basically told us by the way they booked the show that this was their biggest and most important match. So I became less thrilled or, or, or a little bit more upset that we were texting right before the show began. And we actually don't really talk during the show to keep our opinions fresh for 
this podcast. And I found it very interesting that, you know, at first I was like, ah, it doesn't really matter whether he knew it previously or not. You know, it's just going to be a whatever match. But considering the booking, considering the placement on the card, that was really important for you to know heading into this pay-per-view. Yeah, the stipulation was the entire finish. I had yeah. I, I actually had the pre-show on. I was I was working and I decided to put the pre-show on and they made a comment about Firefly Inferno Mesh. And I was like, what? What is this? I texted you. I texted my brother and, and you were like, yeah, they announced it midweek. I OK, I, I don't understand how announcing it. I don't know how they announced it. I assume over Twitter or something. Twitter. Announcing yeah, something. it over midweek is suddenly going to increase buys for the pay-per-view as opposed to putting it on the show. But yeah, that was an eye opener when I heard that. And I'm it, it just it kind of led me to something I felt from this and, and a number of uh, feuds in this pay-per-view. And that is they've changed what they want to do and they're kind of flipping things around uh, at the last second and a lot of these things and it's changing a lot of it. So it was very weird decision. I'm going to assume that wasn't the plan again that I assume they decided to do it, then announced it and not just purposely hit it to, to reveal it on Twitter a couple days later. But well, yeah, very strange. Well, I think it was more a factor of they ran the angle at the end of the go home raw. And therefore, when else are you going to announce the match after that? You have to announce it during the week. But what they should be doing is planning ahead of time so that the angle with the fire and all that stuff was run two weeks ago. Right. And then the match was announced on the go home raw. Like these are very simple things. So this is not WWE changing its mind or whatever. This was clearly planned. Like you don't just turn around on like a Tuesday and say, hey, you know what? Let's have a Firefly Inferno match and do what they did, which we're going to talk about extensively in a moment. That's something that is booked in advance and clearly was a plan with the storyline, given the prayer shack, given all of the old storytelling that they had with Fire, with Orton and with Wyatt. So I did find that interesting. Now, one thing I forgot to do when we start talking about these incident analysis for pay-per-views, I send out a pre-show poll on Twitter. Again, I'm sorry I didn't mention this before we got started, but I send out a pre-show poll asking what everyone's expectation grade is for the pay-per-view. So Chris, what was yours going into the show? What did you expect we would be grading this entire show by the time we finished talking about it? I I don't think we talked about this last week. I, I know we gave our pre-show expectation for Survivor Series. I don't think we did for this. I think my expectation would have been BB plus, kind of what it's typically been. Uh, pretty solid. We didn't know what the full card was going to be or if there was going to be more, but I would have probably said BB plus range. I was definitely on the B minus range, not because I didn't think the card was good, but it just felt like so much was left unknown. Uh, You know, we thought, hey, we're going to get a United States championship match, not on the card. Hey, we're going to get an intercontinental championship match, not on the card. Hey, of course, we're going to get a SmackDown championship match. Oh no, we're going to do that on SmackDown. So it just kind of felt like it wasn't a full card. So I was in that B minus range. Now, I, I also thought, had, I mean, I also thought, I also thought Roman Owens would end the show and end yes. the show on a good note, which would kind of bump it up. Cause when it ends good, it, it gives you a little bump up. And I figured that's what would happen. Completely agree with that. Now you guys basically agreed with me a little bit more than you did. Chris, 15% of you thought going in the show would be an a 53.8%. The vast majority thought it would be a B. 
28.8% thought it would be a C, and then 2.5% of you just, I guess, hate WWE and won't even give it a chance, right? So you add those together. Again, quick math. You're looking at 81-ish you know, percent, 82-ish percent of, am I doing that right? Yeah, 82 or so percent thinking it's going to be a B or a C. Now keep that in mind, 82% B or C while we talk about this show. Anyway, so getting back to this, before the match, Bray Wyatt read a Firefly Carol like a Christmas Carol, recounting the entire feud with Orton dating back to the burning of the prayer shack. Then they explained the rules, which were that the winner just needs to set an opponent's body part on fire, typical typical Inferno match type of rules. Now at that moment, Chris, and I did tweet this out, I changed my prediction. Because the whole thing with The Fiend is you can't really, unless you're Goldberg, you you can't pin this guy, you can't submit him, you can't stop him through the means of professional wrestling. So given that this could be a happenstance type of finish, I figured it was a great opportunity to have a good match, put The Fiend over as strong, but have Orton win. Now, hearing the rules, going into it, did you still think, you know, be honest, don't, don't, fabricate based on the result. Did you still think The Fiend was going to win? Or did you feel like, you know what, this is now going to be Orton? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I guess technically Orton won. I, I never thought Orton would win. I, I did. First, when I found out what the stipulation was, I thought that meant, oh, maybe we're doing something cinematic, which is what I think, frankly, in this period, almost every Fiend match should be. And then when then when the the Owens Reigns thing starts, and you realize, oh, this is the main event. This is gonna be. They must have something really good planned. And I just, I guess, I didn't know. And that's not a bad thing. It's it's good to not know what to expect going into a wrestling. Sure. Match. I just, I really did not. Before I knew of anything, I thought Fiend would win regular match. Uh, Orton would be fine. Move on to Edge or something like that. I once I found out the stipulation in the main event, I just I did not know what to expect. All right. Well, we got into this and it was done straight up in the regular Thunderdome, which also surprised me. I expected this would be done, like you said, cinematically somewhere outside of the Thunderdome um, in, in the backstage area in the parking lot. I don't really know what I expected. Every Inferno match we've ever seen in WWE has been around the regular ringside area. I just didn't think that they would do it for some reason. And I don't know why, but ever, never mind. They introduced both guys. They got there. The Fiend was manically laughing as Orton punched him. Each of them reversed the other's finisher until the Fiend hit Sister Abigail, raised his hands and lit the entire ringside area ablaze. It was a pretty sick visual, like a lot of fire. There were spires of fire. Um, there were like big troughs of fire. It was just Pretty sick. Now, for sure, I have loved once it happened. I was like, but the match starts, and I'm like, this isn't an inferno match. It's supposed to be fire around the ring. Is this not what we're doing? So when that right. happened, and you're like, oh, okay, here now, we go. Now, now business picks up. Business picks up. Right now, would I have loved it a little bit more if over the last couple of months we had learned he gained that power from Kane when he took him out, or? had the ability to turn on lights and raise flames from The Undertaker. If he had taken him out after the final farewell, the Silver King would have loved that. That's the type of wrestling shit and long-term storytelling I want. But okay, whatever. He's still the fiend. He's still this weird, manic freaking dude. Uh, Fine, he can set things on fire. Totally cool. 
Anyway, the fiend grabbed the strap, beaten, beat Orton with it, then lit the strap on fire. Orton dodged it. And then Fiend grabbed a pickaxe and went after Orton. He dodged that as well. Fiend pulled out a rocking chair, covered it with gas, put Orton in it, and lit it on fire only for Orton to get out just in time. Orton got caught with a uranagi and then had his neck snapped in the middle of the ring. Fiend lit an axe handle on fire, but Orton hit him with a draping DDT off the ring apron. Fiend countered an RKO outside the ring with a mandible claw and pushed Orton backwards towards the fire. But Orton turned it around And all of a sudden, we saw Fiend's entire jacket, his braids, everything catch on fire. He was surprised at first, but he almost shrugged it off and charged at Orton, who was shocked, but hit him with an RKO in the middle of the ring. Orton is standing there, looking at Fiend, waiting for him to wake up. He never does. So he kicks him a couple times to see if he's okay. He doesn't move. So Orton flips him over and shakes his head. But then you see like the brain processing, the voices coming back to him. He jumps outside the ring, grabs a can of gasoline. I should mention, by the way, the match is over. Once he lit on fire, Orton won the match. They didn't ring a bell. They didn't say anything. They just let this keep going, right? Anyway, Orton grabs a can of gas, grabs some matches. He looks to the heavens, dumps the gasoline all over the fiend's body, lights a match, pauses until it burns halfway down and drops it on the fiend who is suddenly engulfed in flames as fire scorches all around the ringside area. I mean, Chris, how do we even talk about this? Okay, like, let's start with the basics here. I totally get why this was now in the main event. It had to be. There was no way you could have this match at any other point in the card and then say, okay, let's have wrestling again, right? You just, it's not possible that that's going to happen. Uh, The setting, let me get through it. The setting was completely badass, right? The match told a great story into their history, playing into all the fire, the different weapons, the the crucifix or whatever the hell they're calling that thing. That was involved as well. The finish protected the monster, but was also surreal because you know it's wrestling, but that's one of the goriest things that WWE has done on the main roster, probably in like, I don't know, 15 years or so, it's easily the best Inferno match I've ever seen. Not that there was a really high bar to get there. It kicked the shit out of their WrestleMania match. A dude was murdered in the middle of the ring. 2020 is really Randy Orton's year. He got away with murder. Chris, holy (laughs) shit, man. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's... I was going to make an inappropriate joke earlier. That's why I stopped myself. But, but it... Yeah, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend was murdered at the end of the show. You have to end the show with that. You can't, you can't keep going on yes. uh, when that happens, uh, you know, in kayfabe in this sense. And, and yeah, I just, the, 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 the end result was insane. The, that entire, the way the whole thing played out was crazy. It's got everybody talking about it. It's nuts. It just kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning, which was like, I felt like we needed just like another step from from last week to to this to just kind of explain it cuz I complained last week that Randy tried to murder Bray Wyatt and commentary didn't say a damn thing about it. Very strange. And and so so now he did it. Now he's dead. Like there's no I I don't know how you I'm just I'm kind of at a loss for words here 
it's just it was that crazy of an ending. I, I really don't know what else to say, but that it was crazy and it was entertaining and uh, they really went all in with it. They did. And I, I don't really blame them for it, man. Like this is the fiend. It's supernatural. It, this is unlike anything else that they currently have and really only compares to The Undertaker and Kane in terms of WWE and, and I mean, I'm going to go at, go ahead and say wrestling history, but I mean, maybe there's something in the promotions that I just don't know about. But in terms of American promotions that I followed my entire life, this is just the most unique story, uh, character, I should say, that we've maybe ever seen because there's layers to it and they allow Bray Wyatt to basically do, it seems, what he wants with it. And mm-hmm. given the finish and given the booking here, there's so much that they can do. The Fiend as Bray Wyatt can take a long break. The Fiend character can fully inhabit the body of Alexa Bliss for a while. Or she can nurse him back to health after a couple of weeks and he can go after Orton down the line. They could kill off the Fiend entirely. They could figure out a way to... And by the way, I don't think they're going to kill him off entirely. I highly doubt no. they're going to do no, that. No, no, no. They can find a way to reinvent him, whether it's with a different look, mannerisms, phrases, get rid of the funhouse, change it into something else. There are so many different things that we that they can do with this. I'm actually just amazed at how much I enjoyed it, at how good I thought it was, and how surprised I am at the lengths they went in this match and with these characters. This is exactly what the sports entertainment aspect of professional wrestling is all about. And that doesn't mean that every person listening here has to agree because we already know there's a lot of our listeners and a lot of WWE fans that just don't like The Fiend. They don't want to see him. They think Bray Wyatt isn't a good wrestler. Uh, They're tired of the gimmick and they don't like him. And if that's how you feel, you are entitled to that opinion. I, I don't get that. I, I hear it a lot. I do see it. I don't get, I don't it, get it. There's nobody I, like. There's nobody I like. I do him. get. I do understand that after the first like few months of the fiend when it was new and hot and fresh, and then it got really bad with the Seth Rollins stuff. Yes. yes. With the booking of it, but they have they've saved it. They, they've they've turned course on it. Yeah, they had him with the title. Yes, they had Goldberg beat him. Yes, I understand that there have been speed bumps along the road, but. If you reset it after that Goldberg deal from from the Firefly Funhouse match all the way until now, it's been fresh, different, new, and it feels like something that they are allowing Bray Wyatt and whoever is working on it with him to run with and have some semblance of creative freedom. Because let me tell you something, folks, obviously this stuff is written, but it's not written by the same people that write Suffering Succotash. Okay, it's just not. So... So the it's it's they're showing an ingenuity in this era. They are showing creative flexibility and they are giving us storytelling. And I think to your point earlier, yeah, you wish this was a little bit drawn out longer and there was a little bit more. They were banking on us fans remembering the entire previous storyline with Randy sure. Orton and, and Bray Wyatt. Which, and which I'm they okay gave, with which that. Which they gave us in the highlight package too. Which they did give us in the highlight package and little hints of throughout this entire build. And I'm okay with that as a long-term fan. Not every single storyline has to appeal to a short-term fan. I know the story. You can just restart it and build it from there. And that's what they did. So 
This was a win. Um, mm-hmm. You know what, man? I, like, I can't believe this. I'm giving this match an A. And people are going to disagree. I don't care. You know, I'm just, this is honest. I From the start of that match to the finish and the end of the pay-per-view, I sat there not believing what I saw. Like, wow, they really did this. The wrestling was good. The storytelling was good. The protection of the Fiend, despite him getting burned alive, was good. And Randy Orton, a guy who we came in saying, man, how are you going to have Orton lose this match after he just lost to to Drew McIntyre and he's probably going to restart an edge feud? How can you have this guy lose? He didn't lose. So the match was smart. It was well booked. I was sports entertained. It's an A. This was an A match for me. Yeah, no, I... I I guess it's it's so weird. I'm like, I'm hesitant to give it a letter grade. Like, I'm not going to say it was bad. I, I feel feel weird giving it a B. So I guess it's an, an A. I mean, it it sucked me in. It had me saying, what the hell just happened at the end of the show? And isn't that always the ultimate goal of this entire endeavor? So it, it worked. And, you know, you need stuff to be a little bit different. This is not, this is not going to be very different from Kane burying Biker Taker alive and and supernaturally Undertaker coming back as the dead man for WrestleMania 20. Like we've seen these types of things. We didn't see him. It used to be buried alive. Now it's just burned alive or burned dead if he's dead. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, and, you know, it, it was completely well done by Orton and Fiend. I know what they were going for. I love that they did it. I think Joe, Samoa Joe on commentary did a much better job handling this match than the other two did because I just, I do not buy uh, Byron and Tom Phillips when there's like serious things going on. Cause they still talk in the same tone. It doesn't really change. Samoa Joe acted like he was freaking the F out about what was going on in front of him. And he sold the hell out of it. Uh, he did a tremendous job with this as well. Samoa Joe was incredible here. And, you know, we, we're doing our awards. We're sending them out via Twitter for all of your nominations. And we're going to vote on everything next week. Samoa Joe is up for announcer of the year or really broadcast talent of the year, I think, is the category. Um, he, he might win it. And I think he just gave himself kind of a, a not a crowning moment because he's, he's had better this year. But he is so integral to that broadcast working. Yes. Because Tom Phillips and Byron Saxon on their own, that doesn't work. Samojo brings it. And you're right. He, I think he crushed it on that during that match. Yep. 100%. He, he, he made it feel real. And, and, and that's what you need out of these moments. That's what Jim Ross used to always give you with The Undertaker. Uh, it just, you need that. You need to feel like the people who are there, like, are, are, they know they think what's happening in front of them is real that it's it's not a work or something like that so so he 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 did that well no question now let's move on to you know it was probably the co-main event the expected main event of the show roman reigns against kevin owens in a tlc match now because we do our ultimate preview on tuesday that always means there's a go-home smackdown between the show that we tape and the actual pay-per-view. So we're going to talk about what happened on SmackDown briefly, and then we'll talk about the pay-per-view. On SmackDown, Owens called Reigns a coward, dared him to come to the ring while saying his family will not watch TLC because he doesn't want them to see how brutal he's going to be. Paul Heyman said Owens is trying to be a martyr. Owens went looking for Reigns with Adam Pierce trying to stop him. As Owens reached Reigns' locker room, he Reigns basically made his way to the ring. 
He said he's not a bad guy. He's just doing what's necessary to be the guy, which is a great callback to that old promo. Uh, Owens then came down and Reigns and Jey Uso destroyed him. Reigns later told Jay to end him for good. Jay attacked Owens with a chair backstage and then put him through a table later on in the trainer's room. Reigns hit the ring in the final segment and wondered why Owens would blow a main event match with him at TLC. And then Owens drags himself to the ring, hits Jay with a chair, gets a few licks on Reigns, but got absolutely destroyed with a spine buster by Jay and a Samoan drop by Reigns through the table. They dumped a ton of tables, ladders, and chairs on top of Owens, which was a little bit of foreshadowing. They buried him underneath. Reigns uh, started talking backstage, but Owens was shown digging himself out of the wreckage and sitting up on a chair, promising nothing Owens does, excuse me, nothing Reigns does can keep him down. I'm going to take the universal title or I'm going to die trying. Man, oh man, like... Every Reigns match that uh, on a pay-per-view, every storyline that he's had since we come back, we say the same thing. They build this thing to perfection. Kevin Owens going into this match, you knew he wasn't going to win because in storyline sense, it just wouldn't make any. But damn, man, like they built this up where you are rooting for Kevin Owens almost as an ultimate underdog, like a Daniel Bryan style underdog when that is not the Kevin Owens character and has never been the Kevin Owens character. But going into this match, I was excited as all hell for it. And I thought a large part of that was what happened Friday night. For for sure. I, I mean, if we're being honest, I, I think Kevin Owens has carried more of this feud. Roman's is, Roman has kind of been his normal self in this. It, it's really been all on, on, on Kevin Owens to make you care about him and make you therefore make you care about this match. And and that's 100% what he did. I, I was I was so fired up coming into this. Uh it, it's really the second time he's kind of played that working man underdog babyface role this year with, with the the other being uh Seth Rollins and he was on fire going into that as well. You remember he cut that promo on Rollins basically being like Seth Rollins is basically like, I'm basically Mr. WrestleMania. I always get my best. People aren't going to remember you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and he played that role well. And, and Kevin Owens did the same thing here. He, he really took it to another level uh, coming into this. And yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't, but this is why we all thought it'd be the main event. And, and Kevin Owens is a big part of that. No question about it. Now, moving on to the pay-per-view. Reigns made his methodical entrance and Owens attacked him from behind in the ring, running him into the barricade and the steps, hitting a frog splash off the ring apron. Really hot start to the match. Jay ran in right away to stop Owens from a quick win, but Owens caught him with a super kick and tried to break his ankle with a chair. Jay got carried to the back and my immediate thought, Chris, was that Jimmy Uso was coming in for the save. At the end of this match, it'd be his return and all of a sudden Reigns mafioso type of crew would grow by one more. Yeah, I is that what that. you thought as well? I, I was expecting the same. One of those times that Owens was climbing the ladder after he knocked off Jey Uso, I thought, I thought Jimmy was going to come in and save him. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And and when I saw Jay, I thought it was like I was like, oh, that's going to be Jimmy. No, it's Jay. <laughs> like I, it kept happening. I yeah, kept thinking I think it was going to be Jimmy. Thought. Yeah. yeah, but that's okay. I mean, look, that subverted our expectations, which is great. You know, we thought we knew better and we didn't. And that's what wrestling's all about. Uh, Reigns and Owens ruined each other with chairs. Owens got inches from the title when Jay came back for the save. 
Owens fought the two-on-one, hit a stunner on Reigns. Jay stopped the third climb, so Owens drilled him through the announce table with a pop-up powerbomb and buried him under a ton of shit. As I said, foreshadowing from SmackDown, Reigns caught an Owens kick and powerbombed him into a closed ladder, then side-slammed him into an open ladder, chokeslammed him through a table at ringside, and then Samoan dropped him through another table, all in succession. Just as Reigns got to the ladder, Owens weakly grabbed his leg. Reigns laughed and mocked him. Owens slapped him, so Reigns speared him through a table that was propped up in the corner. Owens screamed that Reigns left to kill him and baited Reigns outside to spear him through the barricade, except Owens dodged the assault at the last moment. Owens dragged himself to the top when Reigns pulled him down. Reigns countered a pop-up powerbomb with a Superman punch. Owens countered a spear by lifting Reigns into a pop-up powerbomb through a table. And now I'm starting to think like, maybe there's a chance, an outside chance that something's going to happen here. Owens got to the top again. Jay stopped him. Owens pulled him down, hit the stunner. Owens got to the top yet again, but Reigns low-blowed him, choked him out with a guillotine atop the ladder, dumped his body off the ladder, and grabbed the title for the win. This, Chris, for me, was as well-booked an underdog loss as you're going to get. They made me believe about 75% of the way that there was a good chance Owens could take the title. Um, These two are incredible together. Every time they get in the ring, talk about a banger. This match freaking banged. Hundred percent. You you knew it would be, and and yeah, it was it was a match in which you know Roman Reigns is going to win. Plus, it's essentially a handicap match. I, I honestly, I really, really appreciated the way they approached uh, having Jay in this match because we say it all the time, like, oh, if it's a TLC, there's no DQ. Why do people not just come in and interfere the whole time? And, and that's what happened. Jay was there pretty early and. Played a role throughout the match and played it well. And yeah, uh, essentially a one-on-two match. And there were several moments where you thought, oh, maybe they will give Kevin Owens his title and then Roman will get it back next month or something like that. And 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 as you kind of start to think meta about it, yeah, no, it was it, it, an absolute banger. Again, probably an A-minus-A type of match. It really was. It was right up there. It's. I mean, it's so tough for me to recollect all of the TLC matches, and to compare something like this to like the initial one, right? With the Hardys, the Dudleys, Edge and Christian. But for a modern TLC match, and com- in comparison to the one that opened the show, which by the way, we're, we're going to talk about it in a moment, and was pretty damn good in its own right, this thing was just reached another level. I thought it was an incredible match. You know, we all want someone like a Biggie or a Keith Lee to win the Royal Rumble. But with the booking we got in this match, man, Kevin Owens just became a legitimate contender. I could easily see this storyline being paused for six weeks and picked up again with him winning the Royal Rumble, coming out on SmackDown, challenging Reigns to WrestleMania, and them building a feud up for that. I I could easily see it. And See, I would not go that far. I could see it. Yeah. I I mean, I still think... They've got plans for whatever whatever they're doing at WrestleMania. They got to have the plans for it now. I, I think, and it's hard to judge. This isn't like a Kofi situation or a Daniel Bryan where you have 
where you're going to have fans in the crowd clearly trying to get someone over to change their change their plans. But I do think this could be a Jey Uso situation where maybe it was supposed to be a one-month feud and it's Daniel Bryan at Royal Rumble or something like that. Maybe they decide to make it a two-month feud now because, because of how good of a job Kevin Owens did. I, I definitely could see this extending. And I thought that midway through the match, I was like, this is so damn good. I don't want it. I don't want this to end here. Give me another month of this or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I want to clarify what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do. I don't, I don't anticipate Kevin Owens winning the Royal Rumble. I'm just saying this match set such a tone for Kevin Owens and really for Roman Reigns as well, that if they wanted to book that, they certainly could. They put him in yeah. a position now where all that time where he was no longer a main eventer and he was doing comedy and, and floating between heel and face and the KO show and it, some of it was working and some of it wasn't, that's gone now. Kevin Owens has been fully rehabilitated and he is back to being a true main eventer in WWE. This match, by the way, I mentioned, I think in the lead up to this, they had a great match at the Royal Rumble a few years ago. This beat the shit out of it. That's how good this was. Mm-hmm. I want to see these two bang again. And I want a match just Crazy. like this. Oh, no, I, I know what I said. I meant it. <laughs> I, I said it on purpose. I want meat, man. In this match, no bread, no water, no water, no bread. All I want is meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. There was a moment when uh, Roman speared Owens through the table uh, on the, in the corner and the way the table went, Owens was like just sitting there slumped with the table, like sitting on top of his head. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was an, an incredible visual. He eventually ends up rolling out of the ring, um, but I, he sat there for a good 10 seconds. I thought it was, it was both like, fu- it, like it looked funny, but it also like further like, sold the move because based on how he got hit that's how we that's how he landed and just it was it was just a, he, he does so many of the little things right all the time he gets up to the top of the ladder and he's holding on to the belt he's not like whack he's not pushing it with his hand he's got a hold of it but you know not enough to pull it down like he's just he does so many of the, the little things in wrestling so very well and it's been very evident in this entire feud For sure. Now, there was one other TLC match, and this one opened the show. Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles. And there's more to it, but we'll get to that in a moment. There's a lot from this match that we actually have to break down. So I'm going to try to go through it best I can. Uh, McIntyre destroyed Styles to open this match. He slingshotted him headfirst into a chair between the turnbuckles, countered a Styles clash into a future shock DDT. Styles spent the whole match chopping him down, locked him in the calf crusher through a ladder and later in a chair. Styles dove, uh, I should say drove a ladder into McIntyre's head, put him on a table outside for a splash. McIntyre was able to get out of it by throwing a chair at Styles' head uh, and then put him through a table a short while later. Styles caught the champion with a drop toe hold into a ladder, then jumped off a table for a phenomenal forearm, but McIntyre caught him and hit an over the head belly to belly suplex into a ladder, which was an incredible spot. Styles then hit a phenomenal forearm, but McIntyre recovered, took him off the ladder and threw him over the ropes through a table outside of the ring. Just as McIntyre was like one rung away from the title, Ms. John Morrison rolled down. Ms. grabs McIntyre, power bombs him off the ladder through a table. Morrison cashes in the briefcase for Ms. 
and it became a legal triple threat TLC match with the Money in the Bank briefcase officially cashed in. Rather than go right up for the title up the ladder, Miz gloated. So almost methodically walked in the ring, pulled him off the ladder like he was a baby, like he was a cat, really, in a tree. Held him uh, like a baby. <laughs> held him like a baby. And then dumped him over the ropes through a table outside. Not through him, not power bombed him, literally just placed his body over the ropes <laughs> and dropped him through a table, which popped me. I thought it was absolutely hysterical. 100%. Yeah. So then Morrison tries to take almost out with a chair, but they gimmicked it. So the chair shattered into four pieces. <laughs> that was awesome. Yep. Almost stalked, stalked, I should say, Morrison all the way to the back. So now they're cleared out. It's three dudes in a triple threat match. They're the only ones who are left. McIntyre and Styles battled the top of the ladder. Miz set up another ladder next to them. Got a hand on the title. Miz, McIntyre, Styles each got a hand on the title, but knocked each other off the ladder. McIntyre used one ladder then to tip over the other, knocking Miz into the ropes and Styles outside the ring. He then hit Miz with a Claymore, climbed the ladder, selling the knee, by the way, the entire time, and won the match. Chris, this for me, it was a really interesting TLC match because there were a lot of big moves and spots and the action was consistently good. I mean, I just read you all the big spots that were in that match. But it felt to me like it was missing a crowd reaction that was not missing from the other TLC match. I was about to say the main event, but the other TLC match on the show. I feel like WWE holds back its louder crowd noises or its more intense crowd noises, or um, it doesn't pull the trigger on as many chants or rousing type of sounds until it's main events. I think they do it on purpose, which does a disservice to high quality matches that air earlier in the card. They did this on SmackDown during the Sasha Banks and Bailey match, which should have been gotten all these, this is awesome chants and all that. They saved it all for the main event in that show, which was not nearly as good. I just found that really strange and they did it again here. So I, again, I think it does a disservice to an early match, which really shouldn't be treated any different than a main event match. McIntyre, obviously had to retain here. Miz being self-absorbed and not running up the titles within his character. Styles took a beating and, and sold everything like hell. He did a great job. Business really picked up after the cash-in. The match was good and solid. The finish was great. I, I thought everything about this was exactly what it needed to be. Everybody, everybody played their role perfectly. Everything was executed well. You knew Ms. Morrison was going to get involved at some point because they had they had basically said so. But you didn't think about it early on in the match. And then there was a part where you thought it would come and it came and they just executed it. And again, sometimes predictable things are good. And I agree with I had the, I actually had the exact same thought about possible crowd noises because I noticed the, the pre-show tag match had a pretty intense crowd for a pre-show six or eight man tag match compared to a match like this. But in the end, whatever. I, Morrison was hilarious. We actually got the cash in. The result made sense. Holding Miz like a baby was funny. Styles looked great. McIntyre looked great. Another example of, of, a, of a face essentially in a, in a major handicap situation and coming through and you believing it. And, 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 yeah, I, there was, I thought Miz might win the title when he cashed it in because it's so rare. We often get those. It's, it's You're waiting for 
all right, someone's going to pop up and they're not going to ring the bell. And as soon as they ring the bell, you're like, oh, okay, now maybe maybe it'll happen. And it, and it obviously didn't, but I thought this was great. I'd probably give this an A minus. Again, just something that was 100% exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, this is probably in like a B, B plus range. B, B, B plus for sure. B plus. Um, you know, the thing about Miz, and again, he's self-absorbed, he's egotistical. So like what he did in the match makes sense. What would have made more sense is if while Morrison was talking to the ref, getting him to accept the cash in, Miz was waiting on top of the ladder. And as soon as they rang the bell, he reached up and took the title. That yeah. is great. That would have been for me, great chicken shit heel booking because then he wins the title. You have McIntyre challenge him on Monday. And honestly, maybe you even change the title back on Monday. I don't even know. But how can you be that dumb? Like of all the ways you can cash in the money in the bank in kayfabe, why would you insert yourself into a match like a TLC match with Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles? You just, I know he maybe thought he had the upper hand. I'm just saying there's so many other but but the, <laughs> the timing made sense because it, when you know? both guys were down and he wouldn't have to pin any of them. This it it would it made more sense. It, it made more sense to do it during the match as opposed to when somebody won. I I, I think you know it, just in terms of the way yes, it was set up because this was I believe this is now the second time we've had a cash in during a match and therefore making it a triple threat. The other being well, the Seth WrestleMania Seth Rollins cash. I don't think it's yeah. ever happened since then. And that was yeah. I was like. Oh, this makes sense to to do it now because both the guys are down. All you got to do is climb the ladder. And in his hubris, he should have climbed it quicker. He should have gone up quicker, and that's why he didn't get it. So I, I yeah, could he have been a little bit smarter? Sure, but I, I still thought it fit what the Miz tries to do. And I, while still, I think overall looking like a smart decision, maybe not the smartest, but it was still pretty smart. Sure, no, I accept that. It's just. I'm just thinking of it from a kayfabe standpoint, like all the things you could do potentially and including even, Hey, I just power bombed Drew McIntyre through a table. Let me beat the shit out of him for, you know, for a little bit, or let me have Morrison stand on top of him or, or all the different things that you could do. Again, I'm, I'm picking nits probably. I'm just saying that kayfabe wise, you would think even a chicken shit heel egotistical, um, you know, type of dude who thinks highly of himself, like the Miz you'd think he'd make it easier on himself, but he didn't. It's fine. Now, as for how this moves forward, I think it's pretty clear it's going to go one of two ways. Either Miz is going to complain about his cash-in, the way it happened, and probably start a feud with McIntyre. I'm hoping I'm wrong about that, uh, if that's the way they go. It's probably going to feel quite boring and repetitive, considering how involved Miz and Morrison already were with the Styles feud. So for them to just do a, then an offshoot feud with McIntyre, where Miz and or Morrison gets a match with him at the Royal Rumble, it, it's just going to feel like they're really treading water and just biding time. Now, the other option is Styles complaining that Miz interfered and cost him a fair title opportunity. That I could buy into another McIntyre-Styles match much more than the alternative involving The Miz, maybe even to the point where you have McIntyre and Styles team up on television to face Miz and Morrison, take them out and kind of just wipe them off of the storyline and then move on in their one-on-one direction. But the Royal Rumble is January 31st. So it's not like we have 
a four-week turnaround. We have, I believe, a five-week turnaround, maybe a six. Let me count. One, two, three, four. We have a six-week turnaround into the Royal Rumble. So whatever your next storyline for WWE for this championship is going to be, man, that's a long time to kind of, for them especially, to book it all the way to the Royal Rumble. So what do you think? Do you think they're going to go in one of those two directions or do you think they are going to go and just find someone else to kind of contend for the title? Uh, You know, Royal Rumble is a spot where you typically end a feud or have a one-off in a situation like this. It's usually a big match, though. Yeah, but it is usually a big match. I I think, and I was already going to say it, and then you already kind of did, I think it would make sense for AJ and Drew to knock out Miz and Morrison for a couple weeks, and then we get a couple weeks of AJ Drew leading into a Royal Rumble rematch. I I think that's um, possible, I guess. I don't know how Sheamus fits in this. He's obviously been teaming up with Sheamus. Sheamus was nowhere to be seen here when when Drew needed all that help. Maybe they maybe they want to do a Drew Sheamus one off uh, mm-hmm. in, instead as well. It could be possible. Uh, not really sure, but like you said, with that long layoff, leaves a lot of interesting possibilities in a situation where you're probably going to have to do some for everything. You're going to have to do some mini feuds that take a couple of weeks, and that's it. They definitely can go with the Sheamus feud, and if that's what exactly what they're building towards then it makes all the sense in the world. And again, that's a feud that can take place over six weeks because you can have another two weeks probably of Styles saying, hey, I want a rematch, do a rematch on Raw in the main event, and then you kind of offshoot Sheamus from there. So yeah. uh, that probably is the direction they're going and you make a really good point there. Now to wrap this up lastly, we have to say farewell once again to the Money in the Bank briefcase. After the abhorrent, decision to put it on Otis and basically not have him ever utilize it. At least we got it in a storyline for a couple of months. But once again, I've said it many times on the podcast. I'm not going to, I could talk for an hour about money in the bank, a total waste of the briefcase, which should be used to establish new stars and create big moments that people remember. There has only been one person to successfully cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase over the last, I think, four years, maybe five, and that's Brock Lesnar, because of course it was. They have to start treating this seriously again. Money in the Bank briefcase, intercontinental title, United States championship, but even if you don't want the US championship, the Money in the Bank briefcase and the intercontinental title need to be treated as big deals on WWE television. And when you book them, you need to plan those storylines just as well as you plan the women's storylines or the world title storylines. The Money in the Bank briefcase, next time they use it, which will probably be in May. So look, we got five months for them to figure it out. It needs to be put on someone who will either become a world champion or who you want to build up to a level where even if they cash in and lose, will eventually be one day a future world champion. And I know that The Miz, once he won it, sure, I guess he kind of fits that criteria. He's a veteran. He doesn't need it. Putting that on Otis was one of WWE's worst booking decisions of the entire year. And it may have my vote for worst of the year. It probably won't, but it might. You know, we, we, we had it out when that happened, you and I. I thought it was... He was right. 
You, you ended up being right for how it played out. I, said, I was right in the mo- I was right in the moment. So you were and then right. I was right a second time for how yes. it played out. I said at the time, I thought it was interesting. I thought there was a lot of potential. I want to see what they do. They did nothing. And I don't eat, and we talked about this a few weeks back when Otis lost the briefcase. I didn't put the I didn't put that failure on Otis. I, he had zero booking with it. They did they did nothing with it. He was never in the picture for anything. They just clearly had no plan for him. They they thought he was a guy who was getting popular, and now he's back to kind of doing a tag team, which I love, but he he's lost his tag team partner. He's lost a briefcase. He's lost Mandy. They've, they've moved on from him in the big, in terms of being at a top of a middle to top of a show. So yeah, it's a real shame. I, I would have loved to them to see, to do something. And I, I said it before, it would have been great to go through this whole process of, of Otis trying to, get in shape, feel like he, he, he feels like he could be the face of the company. He, he gets a makeover. He tries to do all these things to, to show like he can do it, have some fun with it, do try something with it. They did nothing with him. I thought the, the Ms. Morrison Otis back and forth over. It was funny. The, 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 the courtroom thing was funny. The transition worked. The transition was funny. What they did with Ms. was fine. It worked and was what it needed to be. They didn't attempt anything with Otis, and it's a real shame he didn't even get a chance. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Failure from the start ended in a failure. All right. Sasha Banks versus Carmella for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Again, we start on SmackDown. Carmella had a champagne testing with her sommelier, more of a champagne tasting. I don't know why I said testing. With her sommelier before her championship win, she said she was better than Banks, calling her mentally weak and over her head with her longest title reign yet. I thought it was a really good promo, although it was a bit repetitive. Uh, Banks, basically, she said, wouldn't be able to control her emotions and couldn't be the boss and get disqualified again, as she did in their first match. Banks attacked her from behind, drank some champagne, but when she went after the sommelier, Carmella again cracked a bottle over her back. So, you know, I thought it was a little bit of a fail, uh, and I don't really kind of like using that term, but I, I felt like it was to have the match in the first place. I felt like they could have built this feud and done these storylines naturally without already having them wrestle. And I think based on this past Friday's storyline, I think I was proven right there. They didn't need to have that match two weeks ago. But, cool. yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> but, but I felt like moving into the pay-per-view that this ended up being built, you know, pretty well. Was it great? No. Was it above average? Sure. Yeah. The, the build was above average. It, it was a really good highlight package video before the match. You know, mm-hmm. WWE's video team is one of the absolute best at these things. And they actually got me pretty interested in the match again. Um, thinking back to the things that had gone on. I, I think the biggest pro I think I think I finally figured out the biggest problem with this whole feud and why it just didn't click from a character standpoint was that they were the same character. They were try Sasha I mean Carmela's new character was basically trying to say she was more Sasha Banks than Sasha Banks was. And so it just it never clicked. You didn't there wasn't a natural, you know dividing line between these two other than Carmela just showed up so she's the best. And, and beats up 
uh, Sasha Banks a bunch, and then she does a bunch of boss type things. So they, they were too similar. They didn't they, they didn't separate themselves, and so yeah, that that's why the feud didn't work for me leading up to this. Um, but when I saw that video package, I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this. I, I remember Carmel is a pretty good wrestler, and I kind of want to see how this works out. And then they had the match, and I thought it was a great match. They did a video package on Retribution a few weeks ago that I was like, man, this is the greatest action yeah. ever. Like <laughs> that's that's how good their video production team is. Yeah. Truly, they they truly are great. Um, but as far as this match, you kind of prefaced it here. This match wasn't good. This match was great. Yeah. Carmella Somalia barely caught her flying out of the ring, assisted her with a hurricanrana. She then caught a knee to the face and actually legit got busted open in the mouth. Banks hit the three amigos in the frog splash in an homage to Eddie Guerrero. Carmella caught her with a surprise X factor off a tilt a whirl. The Banks kicked out as a great move. Really, really impressive. Spiked Banks her. countered. What'd you say? Spiked her the way Sasha, the oh way my Sasha took that move head first, feet up in yeah, the air. And, and Sasha had her elbows on the canvas. So like it looked really brutal when she threw her head down. It was just incredible. Both yeah. of them did a great job on that move. Uh, Banks countered the code of silence into the bank statement, but Carmella countered back into a double reverse chicken wing, with which, by the way, Corey Graves is perfectly happy to call out because he probably taught it to her. Uh, <laughs> Sasha, Sasha finally got the bank statement in good, and the sommelier pulled Carmella out of the ring by her feet for the save. Banks took him out with a meteora, but then she ate two super kicks for a really good near fall. I actually thought she might lose. Sasha eventually won with the bank statement in a match that Chris completely exceeded my expectations, which by the way, were decently high going into this match because I don't know how many times I have said it over the last two years. Carmella is legit. Yep. She can hang with any women's wrestler in WWE. She has improved so much from two years ago. And I attribute it to when they gave her the women's championship and she started working a ton of house shows and she was wrestling Asuka, and she got all of that opportunity. She probably did additional training that I don't know about, but I'd love to interview her and ask her. And then I also attribute it to her working with R-Truth and having to think on her feet mm -hmm. and work with men. And even though she didn't do much, it was still just her doing moves with people larger than her and knowing that she not only had to be safe with women, but had to be safe with men as well. So as I said, Carmella can hang with anyone, in my opinion, this was the number one best match of her entire career. Banks won super clean with her first pay-per-view singles title defense of her career in WWE. Top to bottom, this was very good. This was an A-minus match for me. Yes, Sasha Banks, Carmella on a B-level pay-per-view, an A-minus match. That, that doesn't mean, that doesn't equate to a five-star that's that's not how we do it. We're just talking about, hey, was it good? Was it bad? Or was it great, right? This was borderline great. Um, it was entertaining from start to finish. I was captivated. I fully believed Carmella was capable of winning the title, even though we knew that she wasn't going to. And like I said, if we had this podcast last year and we did Most Improved as an award or Breakthrough Superstar or something, maybe, maybe two years ago, I don't know, she'd be nominated and up for it. Unfortunately, she hasn't been around for most of this year. She hasn't wrestled for the parts that she was around, so she's not going to be eligible. But I was very impressed with what we saw from Carmella. No, and, and she and Sasha have great chemistry together. 
Like like sometimes you have two people and you just you know they work. You can just tell they work well together. One of those was Roman and, and Braun Strowman. You know, you you could just with, when you see them in the ring together and they're working, you can tell it just it works together. They are the same physical stature. Their wrestling styles are the same, so they can play off each other really well. Sometimes when Sasha's in these matches with with maybe an Asuka who's a harder striker or, or something like that, and, and Sasha Asuka matches are great, but sometimes Sasha's you know diminutive size is noticeable. That's not the case with these two. They're they're similar in stature and and they can do all the stuff to each other that they want and they know how to, to, to take moves and everything. I really like these two together. I'd love to see a few more matches with them together. The feud is kind of the the, the storyline has been kind of eh. But in the ring, this was a great match. Uh I just I'd like I'd love to see these two continue to do some stuff together in the ring because it, it was it was really good. It was it was better as it was a lot better than the match two weeks ago because you oh, knew yeah. that match was you knew that match was not gonna end right. It just it, it hung over everything whenever you do situations like that. But when it comes down to like big time pay-per-view match time, here we go. These two absolutely delivered. Sasha Banks is making her case for wrestler of women's wrestler of the year. And honestly, you know, in the contention for wrestler of the year, I think I fully believe it. Um, tag team matches, Oscar, Io Shirai, Carmella, Bailey. I mean, what else do you want her to do at this point? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just incredibly impressed top to bottom here. I thought it was a great women's match and I was very pleased they had it on the show. We'll stay with the women and talk women's tag team championship, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defending against Asuka and a mystery partner. So we'll get to that right now. Backstage before the match, Billy Kay gave Asuka her resume, said she was proficient in Japanese until Asuka tested her. Billy's great. That was very She's doing great stuff. Loved loved that she got this spot on a pay-per-view. Yeah. She's killing it. Really, really good. Uh, Asuka said the position has already been filled. And then as we're waiting for her partner to be announced, Charlotte Flair makes her entrance as the mystery partner. And Chris... We, you know, surmised this was a very obvious possibility. It did get spoiled for me earlier Sunday. Me too. So, no, you know, I wish it hadn't, but it still did. Uh, Even though I was glad to see her because she is great and she gets a lot of undue hate that's really more attributable to her booking. Again, that's not her fault. Yeah. It didn't necessarily feel... Like this was the best possible way to bring her back. And the dread of what I think is coming next before the bell even rang. (laughs) The dread of what I think is going to be coming next for her in regards to her booking. It's unfortunate that I have that dread, but it's what all wrestling fans have when they see Charlotte Flair come back in a moment like this. They know how the match is going to finish and they know exactly what's going to happen over the next either two months or, you know, five months. So let's pause there. Do you agree kind of with the way I was feeling kind of before this match began? Yeah, and, and my, my, my thought coming in, and once I was spoiled by somebody on Twitter who just uh, a wrestling news source just tweeted, Sasha, uh, Charlotte Flair to return at TLC. Okay, <laughs> we're, just, we're, just, we're just straight up giving up the spoilers now in the headlines. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I thought, you know, I immediately thought you were right. And what you predicted last week, 
and we have 100% now moved past a lot of stuff, and it really made me wonder what the heck the point of the last month was with the Lana stuff. Why did she get that Survivor Series win when it could have been something better with Bianca Belair? Why did we build up Lana and Asuka beating them only to push Lana to the side and bring in Charlotte Flair? I don't know what the point of that stuff for the last month was if if the end was just to move Lana off to the side. If you don't think Lana should be in that spot, that's fine. But they literally gave her the Survivor Series victory and are and we're, we're just past that now. I, I, I don't get that. Uh, it seems plan. strange. It seems strange that look. I don't think anyone out there is truly a huge fan of Lana, right? But I fan think entrance music, music or entrance music, though. <laughs> I think we respect that she has tried really hard over the last couple of months, and, and you know, and that, and that's fair to respect her for that. They took a storyline that was one hundred percent about Lana, and I guess Lana did beat Nia Jax technically, right? So. Okay, but the, the way the storyline ends is with Lana putting Nia Jax through a table. And the best way yeah. to do that is to do it on a tables, ladders, and chairs pay-per-view in a tables match, right? Like, like that's, that's, I'm not even saying that it's sometimes predictable things are good booking. Like, I'm saying that's how you book this in wrestling. It's, it's just obvious, right? Like, you have Chris Jericho with champagne and you have Orange Cassidy, Orange Juice. You do a mimosa match. Like it's it's really not that hard. It's not big brain shit to figure out that you do a tables match with these two. And rather than allow Lana to get that moment and finish the booking, complete the booking that you are doing with this character, you fake injure her <laughs> so you can bring back Charlotte Flair. And I think because of that, everyone's, you know, again, I'm happy to see her back. She's great. She amps up the women's division. It's it has been noticeable. Her absence has been noticeable. But the booking of Charlotte Flair drags so much shit down. Mm-hmm. Like, you, again, you knew the finish of the match. You know what's going to happen next. And it's almost unavoidable. It's like you can see the train coming, but you can't get out of the way. You know? And, and that's just how I felt before this even began. Yep. And it just, it, it takes me back to, and we're not going to talk about it on this episode, but the, the whole Bianca Belair thing, it, it should have, I, I said it then, it should have been her moment at Survivor Series. They instead gave it to Lana and they decided to, at the last minute, pull Lana and go to a Charlotte thing. And it's just, it, it feels like it was kind of a waste of the past month. This was true. Yes, it was, it was even more reason it should have been Bianca. No question. Now as to the match, Flair looked great and she was strong yep. when she got her hot tag. She hit her moonsault to the outside. Jax hit her with a Samoan drop, but Asuka hit a blind tag for a missile dropkick. Flair wiped out the champions and put Baszler in the figure eight. Jax broke it up. Asuka flew with a hip attack into Jax at ringside and Flair hit natural selection on Baszler for the title win. So 10 minutes after returning from months away, Charlotte Flair is a champion again. And Chris, I said this on our ultimate preview. You know, we did guess that she would be one of the options and probably the lead option. But I said if Flair was going to return, they'd win the titles and it would be a common sense way to take them off a strong heel team so that Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax can fall into being the heel singles challengers that they always should have been for Asuka. But now you have a problem of the two strongest women on Raw being champions and Asuka now being a double champion, the third double women's champion in a single 
year. It's really going to be interesting to see how they book the titles off them. The expectation always is that they're champions, they're both faces. Well, they're going to have Charlotte Flair turn heel. They'll lose the titles, and then Flair's going to go after Asuka, and that will culminate in a match at WrestleMania. I'm 100% 100 behind that. That's what's going to happen. And and it just, yeah, you know it, and you're, again, it's like looking down a train, you're on the tracks, and your legs are frozen, and you just can't get out of the way, and it's going to barrel you through. (laughs) Now, if they do that, I think there's a great opportunity that Asuka actually wins at WrestleMania, because the whole storyline right now is Asuka can't win the big win against Charlotte Flair, even though she did on television before Flair left. But at WrestleMania, Charlotte ended Asuka's undefeated streak, so theoretically, you'd want her to get the comeuppance here. But again, being a pessimist, seeing the train barreling down the tracks, it's that Asuka holds the title until WrestleMania and Charlotte Flair gets her crowning moment on the biggest stage of them all by beating Asuka, who's held the title for 11 months. And again, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. And I'm not saying it's necessarily completely fair to be that pessimistic. But you know what, Chris? It's kind of fair to be that pessimistic when it comes to Charlotte Flair. I mean, th- this gets me excited. This gets me more more interested back into the previous women's feud that I wasn't all that into, and that is Carmella Sasha Banks. Because hey, it's it's somebody else in the picture. I know Charlotte's been gone, but every time she's there, she's in the picture. Oscar's been the champion for eleven months. I want to see different people involved in this. You know. We've got Bianca Belair, Bailey on SmackDown. We've got Carmella on SmackDown. They're doing different things on SmackDown. Raw feels like it's it's getting just mucked up, and and and, and it's I'm expecting exactly what you're saying there, and it's it's it sucks because um, I really liked Nia and Shayna together, and and who knows what they'll Me do? They'll be a team or what? But they were fun. I. I I complained that we dropped the Lana thing. The Lana thing was pretty fun. Going into Survivor Series, they did a great job with all that. They told a really good story. It, it was nice seeing different people in different spots. I know Asuka's had nothing to do for quite a while, which has been frustrating. But yeah, seeing this and feeling like we're going back to Charlotte Asuka, I'm just like, Ugh. well, the, the okay. difficulty, and we'll, we'll, because we have to move on here, but the difficulty was that. It seemed like the perfect time to have Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler go after Asuka was, you know, when she won the title, she didn't really have any challengers. Charlotte Flair had left. Those are two really strong women who you can buy as title challengers for Asuka. And then the first thing they did was have them win the women's tag team titles, team up out of nowhere, win the women's tag team titles and remove themselves from the number one contendership picture. So it was just so strange. So then you're thinking, okay, They're going to take the titles off them. And I fully believe the original plan was for this match at the pay-per-view to be Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke beating them for the titles. I believe that. And then you have them set to go after as singles, Asuka. But now you've complicated it again. So so what's happened? Now on Raw, one person, Asuka, is holding two major titles and she's holding it with not Lana, where the person would otherwise kind of be irrelevant, but someone who is relevant, who should be a challenger for her, or should at least be fighting other people and not involved with the champion. I'd love to see Charlotte Flair and Shayna Baszler in a feud, right? Or Charlotte Flair and Peyton Royce, if you can figure out how to get Peyton Royce away away from freaking Lacey Evans and do something with her, right? 
So be, instead, you're jamming them all together again, which is what WWE keeps doing. It's like, okay, we have Bailey and Sasha and they're killing it. And trust me, I did not hate that they were together. But okay, let's jam them together and have them only fight one person on SmackDown and only fight basically one person, Asuka, Kyrie Sane was there too, on Raw and not use the other women because all everything's tied up with these few number, this small number of people. So the whole point of the women's tag team titles, the entire point of their existence is to give the women other than those in the main event something to consistently do. But they keep jamming the women's tag team titles onto people who are either in the main event or should be the top main event challengers. And it's very frustrating for that reason. So, you know, the match was nothing to write home about. It was probably a C. Um, I think it was the worst match on the entire show, actually, which, again, Oscar and Charlotte Flair really shouldn't be the case. But it was a really good show filled with really good matches. Yeah. The title change, I'm indifferent to until I see how they book it. But am I pessimistic? You bet your ass I'm pessimistic. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Raw Tag Team Championship. That's the final match of the main card we're going to talk about. The Hurt Business against the New Day, who came in as champions. New Day caught Cedric Alexander right after the bell for two near falls. Kofi Kingston got the hot tag. But Shelton Benjamin caught the boom drop in mid-air. Really cool move. Uh, Kingston avoided a double-team aerial. Hit the SOS on Alexander for a 2.8, very close near fall. Alexander caught Kingston with a knee strike and a brain buster, but Xavier Woods was able to break up that fall. They took Woods out with a neuralizer and then Pater. Benjamin then caught Kingston with a springboard to the ropes for a superplex and was preparing to finish Kofi when suddenly out of nowhere, Cedric Alexander tagged himself in and hit the lumbar check for the one, two, three, as Hurt Business became the new Raw Tag Team Champions. Look, here, it's very simple. Sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. Did we completely predict this on the Ultimate Preview? Yes, we did. But you know what? It wasn't unique that we predicted it because it was pretty obvious. And this needed to happen. They telegraphed it, sure. But it was the right call for all the reasons we discussed on the Ultimate Preview that I'm not going to go into again. This shakes up a division that needed it, allows for some new storylines, and enhances this really interesting egotistical angle with Alexander feeling himself and Benjamin not liking it. Alexander now has two wins over Kingston, a former WWE champion and future two-time Hall of Famer. I loved this. I love that Cedric Alexander is getting pushed. And holy shit, man, MVP, I don't care if he wins our manager of the year award, he has altered the career of Cedric Alexander and Bobby Lashley and, and given new life to Shelton Benjamin mm -hmm. in a short few months. That guy, maybe he deserves humanitarian of the year outside of Titus O'Neil, of course, in WWE. But the booking was great. I was so proud of those guys. You had you saw uh, Alexander with the BLM thing on his uh, on his bicep. Shelton Benjamin had Shad Gaspard's name written underneath his like wristband. Shelton Benjamin's a champion for the first time in 17 years in WWE. Not wow. counting not counting the 24 uh, seven title, which who really cares? They I they mean, should know that that's something they did. Of course you know that, or did they say that? No, I saw it. I saw someone tweeted. I checked. Yeah. Okay, true. but they they didn't say it on the show. No, no. 
that's something they need to say on the show. Of course they should. But yeah. all of that, all of that greatness, them celebrating Bobby Lashley coming out with the title. MVP posted a picture I tweeted over on at Getting Overcast, our Twitter account. There were feels in this. It wasn't, it's not, they're not faces. It wasn't meant to be an emotional moment. I was not emotional. I was just really freaking happy for these guys. It was, it was great. Yep. No, it, it's, it's, you know, when MVP came in shortly after WrestleMania to kind of be one of the first people to deal with Drew. Uh, well, he was, he was in the Royal Rumble and parlayed yeah, yeah. that into a backstage role. And then because of the pandemic, parlayed that into being an on-screen character and then all of a sudden made himself a faction. I he mean, was incredibly, yeah, he was instantly, you're like, oh man, I remember this is one of the best Mike guys in the company. And I want to hear what he has to say back when they're doing the performance center stuff. And they got him with Lashley and it was great. The Lashley uh, McIntyre little feud was fun. Um, he has been killing it all year. And it's great to finally see the Hurt Business have three titles. You know, I, I know at one point we wanted Lashley to have the, the WWE title and we thought all four could have him. But if MVP is not wrestling anymore, it doesn't really seem like he is. This is a great setup. Love see, love that photo of the three of them uh, holding up their belts and, and MVP's holding up, I think, his credential, it looks like. No, it was a, um, it, it's a medal he won. But it's for like, I was reading about it. Someone tweeted it. I didn't get a full, uh, I wasn't able to fully digest it. But it's like an event. It's an athletic type of event that older people, okay. I mean, he's not, he's not elderly, but yeah, you know, no, no, no. Of, of an older age than like sure, 20, sure. you know, that's 30, that they compete in and they can win athletic achievements. That's, so that, it was that, real. That, that, it was yeah, real. That's awesome. And it, it, yeah. there were moments when you weren't sure if they were going to pull the trigger on her business. They've tried Raw Underground. They, 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 they put him in the retribution thing. But over the last month or so here now we've seen them beat retribution and now they all have the belts and and i i love it it's not an a level stable but we love stables this is a solid really good group uh where it needs to be i like having them involved in multiple feuds because they're all working really well and it means we, we get more mvp on the screen so it was weird to get here with how many times her business lost before <laughs> before they finally beat the new day but we got here. I hope I hope this Cedric Alexander thing kind of slowly plays out. I don't want it to be within a month from now. We've got them losing the titles and her business breaking up or something like that. Let let this simmer for a little bit. They're, they're, they're clearly not subtly telling us that Cedric Alexander is getting real high on himself and maybe it could cost him at some point. But let's let that drag out for a little bit. Let's let these guys really establish themselves as a tag team, as tag team champs, as a strong stable now that they all have the gold behind them. I know just by saying what I'm about to say that people are going to take it the wrong way. Okay. So I'm still going to say it. All right. But, but the Cedric Alexander angle, it's not that dissimilar from the Rock's angle with Nation of Domination. Mm. It's, it's a guy who was kind of down on his luck, gets rescued by a faction, brought in, given an opportunity, starts succeeding, and then starts, you know, seeing his ego grow and starts maybe thinking, I don't really, these guys don't really need me. And maybe if it's not these guys that don't need me, they don't really need MVP. I'm big enough to, to manage and control this faction. I should be the one that's the leader, the one that's in charge. I'm not saying that they're doing it, but to this point, I like it so far in the storyline, it feels like 
it's heading in a similar direction. Now, it, yeah, it, look, in, a li- in a little different way, because the, the Rock was like, hey, I'm cool. I'm in charge. I got this. I'm confident. Cedric's like going nuts and, and running out the ring and being like, yeah, it's me. It's me. So it's in a little different way. Well, he doesn't have I, that. He doesn't have that level of charisma. And character, yeah. I mean. Yeah. But I, but it, he's just he's a different person, different character, too. Yeah. So but I that's a really interesting comparison, though. I'm just saying it's similar now. You know, look, I love Cedric Alexander. I mean, I've sung his praises on this podcast, you know, as much as probably anyone. And I'm I'm thrilled that he's not only getting this opportunity, but getting this opportunity to such a degree, a higher degree than I probably even expected. I mean, three, two singles wins over the New Day members, plus another win over Kofi for the tag team titles. And that's just the beginning, right? Um, but, you know, he doesn't have the trajectory of The Rock. He's not Dwayne Johnson, right? No one, really, no one is Dwayne yes. Johnson. So, you know, how it goes forward, how it progresses from here, it's not going to go in that same direction. But could this move in a direction where Cedric Alexander establishes himself as a legitimate single star in WWE, a, a mid-carder, maybe even an upper mid-carder, Dolph Ziggler, long-term type of dude? I, I could see that. I think he's on the path to making a a strong, legitimate career for himself in WWE. And I think when we look back on it two years from now, look, look, this all could get dashed in six months. We we know how it works. But if it doesn't, and we look back on it, you know, a year from now, 18 months, two years from now, it's MVP who he's going to have to thank for it. Yeah. Um, And it's great. I'm I'm really happy for him. Yeah. And and, and Cedric's been better on the mic these past few weeks since he has been with the Hurt Business. He's confident. He's speaking confident because his character is confident. They're dressing, confident. They're, they're dressing in suits. They're, they're, they've got each other's backs. And and, he, and, he, and in real life, he has reason to be confident because he's wearing a damn suit. He's walking with veterans. And, I mean, all three of those other guys are veterans. You have to remember, he's truly the young buck of that group. And he's winning on television, which means mm-hmm. he believes that WWE believes in him so therefore, he believes in himself in real life, not kayfabe. It, it's great, man. It's awesome to say. Yep, and we we and we probably don't need to say anything about that big swole tweet either. Uh, yes. So uh, for those that don't know, Cedric Alexander is married to Big Swole, the women's wrestler in AEW. Just go peruse her Twitter account and see what her <laughs> response was to that match. It was very positive, and I think Cedric very Alexander. Positive. Very, very I think he's going to be very happy uh, when he gets home tonight. So let's just put it that way. Uh, we'll wrap up here for TLC with the kickoff show. Daniel Bryan, Biggie, Otis, and Chad Gable defeated Sami Zayn, King Corbin, Cesaro, and Shinsuke Nakamura in an eight-man tag. This is what I generally want, expect, and prefer to see from a pay-per-view kickoff show. I yep. don't want a title match or something being downgraded to a pre-show from the main card. I'd much rather have a bunch of good wrestlers in a multi-man match that lasts 15 minutes that I can watch in the background as I make dinner or or get seated and get everything together and get ready for the pay-per-view. And that's what we got here. The action was good. It didn't compare to that intercontinental title uh, memorial match they did for Pat Patterson a few weeks ago. That's one of the best multi-man matches I've seen. And I mean, there was the AEW one, you know, with the Young Bucks uh, earlier this year. That was great. But that was number two to that on the entire year. This was still very good, though, and very entertaining. Cesaro hit Gable with an awesome gut wrench powerbomb. And then Biggie got the hot tag late, beat Zayn with the big ending, clearly setting up a title match, which we will talk about on Tuesday's episode 
of getting overcast. So Chris, this eight man, again, exactly what I wanted on the kickoff show. Very, very solid. Yep. A lot, lot, lot of fun. Good to see they have Biggie doing something. Uh, if they're not going to do an intercontinental match, this was a good way to uh, acknowledge them. They did a backstage segment too, I think during the show. So it was acknowledged. It wasn't ignored. I'm glad we got to see uh, Gable and Otis together. I, again, really hope that starts to become a thing. Um, and yeah, this was exactly, I think, like you said, exactly what a pre-show match probably should be. Exactly. Now, let us wrap things up here with our final grades for WWE TLC. Now, if you remember, jumping back to the beginning of this preview, I believe, what did we say? Something like 82, 83% were in the B to C range with like 53% or something like that as Bs. Am I correct? Does that sound right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So our final grade, which was voted on, by the way, by three times as many people as the uh, pre-show grade, you know, it does make sense that this would be something that more people would get involved in. 43% of respondents said this was an A pay-per-view. 43% of respondents said this was a B pay-per-view. 9% C, 5% D to F. So slightly more D to F, way fewer Cs. A lot of A's and B's. So basically what that means is all those C's were, you know, jumped up to A, uh, you know, proportionally. So again, 86.2% said this was an A or B pay-per-view, which Chris puts us like, I've lost count, five or six pay-per-views in a row where WWE is in that range. You know, sometimes there's a greater percentage of B's, sometimes there's a greater percentage of A's, but in that like 80% range A and B show, and I think it's, you know, we, we acknowledge it every time we do this. You can hate Raw all you want. And, and you know what? If you do, you're probably right. Because we, we find the good in Raw and we talk about the bad. But it has been a lackluster show. SmackDown, very good. NXT, very good. WWE's pay-per-views, regardless of brand, regardless of what matches are on the card, they've been knocking them out of the freaking park ever since, like, right before SummerSlam onward. It has been one good pay-per-view after another. And I'm very curious. I think you said going in, you were at about a B plus for this show. What do you think of these results? And what was your post-show grade for WWE TLC? Uh, I was, I'm surprised that the um, reviews are so positive because I didn't know how people were going to take the Fiend thing. You know, I I thought Survivor Series was a great show. And then the Undertaker deal at the end kind of deflated a lot of it. I was very curious how people were going to view this one. I saw I saw a good amount of negativity about it on Twitter before we started. Uh, but that tells me people liked the, the, the Bray Wyatt getting murdered bit. Or they the hated end. it. Or they hated it. And it's that's a small vocal minority. Yeah, or or they're really happy that you might not get the. They wanted the fiend to be killed off, and they're happy. I don't, it seems unlikely. I, or, I would, or, or they didn't like it, but it didn't ruin the rest of the show for them. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I um, yeah, maybe, maybe it took her from an A to a, a B for folks. I would, you know, I what did I say B B plus. I think you said B plus going, and I said B minus going. Yeah, and I, I think it was a little bit higher. I think it ended up. I, I'd say it was an A minus show. Um, every every match except for the women's tag match, was really good. 
And the the, the key with all these WWE pay-per-views throughout pretty much all pandemic is that they're they're shorter. They're 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 not five yeah. hours long. They don't need to be. They're not cramming in everything they feel like they need to cram in. They're only doing the they're only doing the matches that feel important enough. And and those matches are getting time. And the result is really, really enjoyable stretch of pay-per-views. Raw so often feels like a slog because they got to hit everything and it's you know it's going to be three hours. So a lot of these pay-per-views have not been as long as Raw. I don't know how long think, this one, I don't know how long true. this one was. I think this one just hit three hours or yeah. maybe it was a couple minutes over, a couple minutes short. But you're right. So many of these have been like 240. Yeah. Like six matches, 240, and you're and you're coming out of there and by the way now they started seven of course so you're yeah. coming out of there like 9 40 9 45 you're like wait i still have like my night i can watch mm-hmm. the second half of the football game like it's a totally different experience than it was a year ago when we were getting like four hour pay-per-views with two sh- uh, matches on the kickoff show and you're just drained watching it and it's not very good and there's a couple matches that are four minutes long with a dq finish i mean yeah, were there shenanigans, obviously, in the uh, Kevin Owens-Roman Reigns match? Yes. But you know what? It's a no-DQ match. Same with the first one, Miz and Morrison. It's a no-DQ match. Guess what? We got clean finishes across the board mm-hmm. in, on this pay-per-view. I don't, I don't consider interferences in a DQ match to be unclean. And even though those things happened, they actually didn't factor in to the finish themselves. In the end, the finish itself was still very clean. Uh, I thought the, the card was really good. Again, you look at the, fi- the final match, it's like an AA minus, the, the Firefly Inferno match, despite it not being all wrestling. I'm just talking about entertainment. Uh, the, the, fir- the second TLC match, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, it's AA minus range. The first TLC match, it's like B plus B, B range. Uh, the Sasha Banks Carmella match, A minus B plus. The, the women's tag, you're talking... A low, a high C, C plus, something like that. The, the the men's tag team match, B B plus, and the kickoff show doesn't even matter. I mean, it's a C, but like, who cares? So that I mean, that's I'm kind of with you, man. I, I think it's an A minus pay per view. Like, I think we're on exactly the same page. This was entertaining. It ended some feuds. It continued some feuds. We think. I mean, we don't know. It shocked us. It surprised us. It made us happy. It hit all of the notes that a WWE pay-per-view needs to hit, especially a B-level pay-per-view. This was not the Royal Rumble or SummerSlam or WrestleMania where you need to just 4.5-star matches and knock it out of the park. And oh my God, I can't believe they didn't change the title. This is a B-level show. We got two title changes, both of which we predicted and expected. But I mean, I think they took care of us as wrestling fans in this show. And again, rewind a calendar year and it's you're really not saying that coming out of each wwe pay-per-view i mean yes royal rumble 2019 it's going to be on our award show for pay-per-view of the year it it may well be wwe's pay-per-view of 2020 but you just think about all these b shows that they had throughout 2019 where you left disappointed and you're like oh my god like it's sunday night i'm so tired why did i stay up and watch that or you know, for me, even um, previously when I was doing the old podcast, we were doing an instant analysis and we were starting it at like 1130, mm-hmm. 1145, and you're up to like 2 a.m. I mean, we're about to finish the show. I think it just hit uh, midnight on the East Coast. It's great. So 
I don't know. Uh, everything WWE is doing from a pay-per-view standpoint is nailing it. That doesn't mean every match is great. You have your swamp fights. You have some of the other things that have happened over the course of the last few months. But dude, WWE TLC, again, I think for the however many straight months, let's call it fifth, uh, you know, maybe sixth, I think it was a home run. I think it was an A-minus show. And they're figuring it out uh, from a pay-per-view standpoint. Yep, definitely. All righty. So that is it for actually the, one thing. I want one thing I want to wrap well, up. You can't on say quick. you can't say that's it. All righty. And then just, about the show. It's not about the show. Go ahead. I, I want to let the listeners know if you've okay. made it through the song that I proposed to Adam. Oh, you screwed up. You screwed up, by the way. What do you mean? You screwed up because you gave the proposal that you're going to speak about. I said, hey, you know what? Not the best idea, but here's what you should do. And you didn't do it. Well, I know the reason I wasn't going to do it was because Bray Wyatt got murdered at the end of the show and it didn't <laughs> feel like that would have been the right way to go. So I wanted to throw this in at the end while I still could. Go for I it. proposed that we start off the show or that I start off the show by saying we were going to give you instant analysis of Sasha Banks in the Mandalorian season two finale, which was wild. One of the biggest pop culture things of the weekend we know Adam doesn't like Star Wars and was not going to be into that, so it was going to be kind of a kind of a gag bit. Um, but uh, well, he, I don't he want you to misrepresent it. And then, and no, and then Bray Wyatt got killed, so I didn't. I figured it wasn't <laughs> worth bringing up again because it would have been very weird to start off with that. But Sasha Banks did have a much bigger role in this second episode of The Mandalorian. She was in. She did well, a great the finale, job. The finale of The Mandalorian. Yeah, the, the yeah the season two finale. She had a much. She was in. She was in one episode bigger. earlier in the season, and then yes. the finale. Right. Yes. And yeah, and she played a pretty big role in this finale. She did a great job. It was an awesome episode. I've rewatched it five times. If, if those of you who aren't into it, uh, five uh, highly times. recommend you do just, just like the last 10 minutes of the episode. It was okay, really okay. good. Well, let me ask you this. Does does her involvement in the show, you know, uh, spoiler and, alert. And I'm not, well, I, I was going to say it, it's it, it aired on Thursday night into Friday. We're coming up on three days. Do, do we agree that do we agree that no? Don't tell. Don't tell what happened. I'm just asking okay. if her involvement in the show for people who may care does her involvement, which is hopefully few of you, uh, does her involvement in the show in the finale pretend to her potentially being in season three? Yes, okay. and I'm very curious how that's going to go without speaking as to what happens. Right, but this episode felt like the end of essentially the end of the main storyline, and it feels like they may go into a separate storyline that would heavily involve her, I think. Not as That'd the main cool. character, but one of these main supplemental characters. So I'm very curious how that goes. And I, I've seen it said a few times on wrestling Twitter. I, I'm very surprised that WWE has not really like promoted the hell out of her. I'll tell you why. Show. I'll tell you why. It is, I, I think I know what you can say, but tell me why. Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, when WWE promotes like The Rock in a movie or whoever, they're being paid for that. Yes. So the the company or the movie is choosing to spend advertising dollars with WWE to promote their show because they know that The Rock, uh, you know, attracts the WWE audience. The WWE audience is attracted to The Rock. Um, so should should Disney and Mandalorian and Star Wars and whoever whatever is involved in that be doing that and getting WWE to promote it? Yes, they should. Now on social media, they've retweeted stuff. WWE on Fox has retweeted stuff, etc. But let's not also forget 
that WWE is on USA Network and Fox. And granted, mm-hmm. she's on Fox. I get it. But WWE works with Fo- with NBC, Universal, which owns USA Network, which has Peacock, which is a competing streaming service. And WWE content is available on Peacock. So are you really going to be promoting Disney Plus when you're not getting paid for it against, you know, in, in a, a rival streaming platform against someone who's paying you a billion dollars? No, you're so not going to. It's not as much being like, hey, go watch The Mandalorian because Sasha's in it. It's more promoting Sasha and I get it. I get the it. show with her and highlight and getting her in these like because they want WWE wants to be mainstream popular and yeah. p- pushing up Sasha Banks as hey this, this awesome person who you saw in The Mandalorian she's wrestling every Friday night on Fox and you're leading off the show with her or something like that and they promote it doing it in different ways I'm just surprised that there hasn't been I just think back to you know this is not at all the same thing but like when a wrestler would be in playboy or something like that and they'd like show it during the show being like hey get the episode of playboy china's in playboy something like that not that that's it's obviously not all the same thing but when they 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 so desperately want to be mainstream appeal that when they have this here i'm surprised that they have not uh i guess done more with with her uh as it relates to it that that goes back to what i said though playboy paid wwe like like when sable was in playboy they paid Sable and they paid WWE. So they wanted to promote it because WWE wanted to sell magazines because they wanted residuals on it. So so it all goes back to, to them making money uh, at the end of the day. And look, WWE has promoted it, I want to clarify, on a lot of their ancillary products. So on the bump, I think it was promoted. They do it on social media. They've retweeted her, things like that. Her name's, she changed her Twitter name to Mercedes Verdardo, or however you say her real name. Uh, on her like her handle is still Sasha Banks WWE, but the display name is her is her real name. So you know she's leaning into it, and it's definitely getting recognition. But no, they're not promoting it on Raw and SmackDown primarily for the reasons that I'm explaining. I do want to also clarify one other thing. Uh, you said in the lead up to this that I hate Star Wars. That's not true. I don't hate Star Wars. I am completely indifferent to it. I am not interested in watching Star Wars or learning about Star Wars and. In general, if we were, if if Mandalorian was not a Star Wars property, but it was like a sci-fi show that existed, and you're like, hey, season one happened last year, but season two just came out and Sasha Banks is in it, you should probably watch it. I'd say, sure, I'll watch the entire thing. The reason I won't in this case is because I'm not someone who gets into a show without like the backstory of like what's everything else that's happened. I don't want to miss anything. So like, I'm not going to go watch like, uh, an offshoot of a movie that's another movie. I, I'm, I can't even think of a good example right now without watching the trilogy that came before it. Like my buddy wanted to go see like in college, uh, the third Lord of the Rings, I think, right? And I am not at all interested in Lord of the Rings, but it was like a summer session and no one was in town. He's like, dude, I don't want to go by myself. I'm like, all right, I'll see it. Only way I'm going to see it is if I watch the other two. So I watched the other two Lord of the Rings and then I saw the third one. So the reason why I'm not going to watch The Mandalorian is because in order for me to do that, I would have to watch, dude, I don't know, what is it, 12 movies and like eight honestly, TV shows? I'm not going to do it. Honestly, you don't. I'll just say, honestly, you don't. You just need to know the basics of what happened in Star Wars. and, and I know you, know. you don't need to. I, I totally understand I don't need to. Just, I'm just saying, just for the finale episode. I'm not going to uh, watch the finale episode. That's fine. But I just thought... I thought it was interesting. It seemed to indicate to me that Sasha Banks could have a a 
much bigger role in the next season. So it'll be interesting to watch for that. Well, anyone who wants to discuss the Mandalorian with you can do so at Chris Vanini on Twitter. That is where yes, that conversation. Someone tweeted at me that uh, we needed to come up with a Star Wars nickname for myself that would kind of irritate yeah. you. Again, it doesn't irritate me. It's just it's it is something I don't have any interest in whatsoever. And you know what? At some point, you know, I was on a podcast uh, called In This Corner where the man whose name was on the marquee was Brian Campbell. And you know what? It's 2020. And the man whose name's on the marquee of this podcast is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And you know what? He doesn't watch Star Wars. So that's just how it is. Unfortunately, I don't, I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just telling you, it ain't for me, bud. It's as simple as that. On Sunday night, I'm going to watch Sunday night football. I'm not going to watch Star Wars. It's, and in order for me to get into it, again, I'm not saying I never will. But in order for me to get into it, I would have to watch so much backlogged content in order to, for me to feel content to watch a new movie or show. I mean, listen, the truth is the only way I'm going to get into Star Wars is like if a woman I'm dating is a Star Wars freak and is like, you have to watch every episode or I'm not going to stay with you. That, that, that is the line. So if someone, if you guys want to find me a woman uh, and that is the situation, I will watch Star Wars. Other than that, not going to happen. All right, let's do it, people. Okay, well, that is it for the WWE TLC Instant Analysis Edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Again, a reminder, we will be back on Tuesday with another WWE edition of the show. We're going to talk about everything that happened on SmackDown that we did not cover today. So Bailey and Bianca Belair, the SmackDown Tag Team title match, the Sami Zayn, Big E stuff, plus everything that happens Monday night on Raw that will all be on Tuesday's show. We will then be back on Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast because through tomorrow, we will be accepting nominations for the remainder of our awards. And this week, we will all be voting on those year-end awards. And what does that mean? It means the following week, we'll have a very special awards show edition of Getting Over. The Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the Meaties, will be handed out for the first time ever. So again, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. You must follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us a five-star rating and review. It has been a long instant analysis, even though it was supposed to be a short instant analysis. But that's okay. There was plenty to talk about tonight, and it was a lot of fun. I will see you all on Tuesday. And with that, I have just three words left for you. Bye for now. <laughs>